The 4 O'Clock Football Frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. Oh, I'm having one. I'm having one. Dustin DeHart is like, oh, a client just made cookies. Just brought in some cookies. All right. Look at Danny. Whoa, watch your hand. Easy. <laughs> Danny's working the scene here. Danny's a little close for a distance standpoint right now. i got to be honest with you here. Let's He's, distance a little bit. That, that that is that's how you weaponize COVID right there. That's true, bro. Keep people away from your cookies by saying open open mics. I will be putting the cookies on the opposite sir. side. I saw him reaching over. Please go wash your hands, mask up, and uh, there's a spot in the corner over there, about 28 feet away. By the way, the just on a side note from that, people underestimate how far six feet is. Like I, because I, I wear the trackers every day at the Raiders facility. Do they beep? No, they start uh, blinking. I think when you're in like within like eight to ten feet, they start kind of blinking like blue, and then if you get within six, they start blinking red like really fast. If you're within like four or five feet, can you get me like, one of those? Who's <laughs> yeah? We need, well, you need that. You certainly need that in studio. I'm saying, yeah. But like you're, you had someone like two feet from you. If I'm sitting like minutes ago. if I'm sitting there working and I have my tracker on, and all of a sudden like somebody is sitting like three seats away, and it starts going red, I'm like that seems like six feet, but I guess it's not. Are you concerned? No, but it's I was, like I was joking, but you know. I, I think in general you're like okay. I, I I don't really understand what six feet of distance is. I don't think you ever worried about it before because you're like Ari, kind of an eternal distancer, and so am I. I don't mean I want to have was, six foot distance forever. I was never really a close talker. Close talkers drive me nuts. I I definitely I don't have, like people sneaking up behind me. Don't touch me. Don't grab me. I don't mind hugs. I don't mind stuff oh, from the front coming at me when I can see it. But like. You know what? You'll, every once in a while, you get someone who wants to be aggressive, and they're like, "Hey, let me grab your shoulder." And you're like, "No, we don't. We don't. We're not doing this." Yeah, any kind of any kind of unwelcome touching, <laughs> I'm, I'm out. I, well, you know you are. Um, but yeah, I think that was that was definitely the best part of that was the best of was, all of this. Like, there was a silver lining. Keep, we, had, we got to be further away from people, and we should do that forever. <clears throat> like no crowding around people. I don't think I'm claustrophobic. No, but you need human contact to <laughs> no, feel you don't, life. You know. Uh, I don't think I'm claustrophobic. I don't think that's the right thing because it's not. I'm sure I would hate contained spaces too. But I, I, like, I definitely have spatial issues. Like, I don't want anybody around me at all. We get it. We get it. We all get it. Ever. Believe me. I know. Yeah. I know. This is the show of eternal distancers. Give me crunch, crunch again. That was my problem in football. Like, I didn't want to block anybody. I was too close. This is one of the dumbest headlines I've seen in a long time, but it's wow. dumb. It's dumb for a reason that you wouldn't expect. Uh, Dennis Dodd, and I don't know if you wrote the headline, with a lacking supply of top coaching candidates, Florida's hesitancy to part with Dan Mullen crystallizes. Okay. One, there are lots of people who can coach college football at these levels. There are. There just are. There are. Sure. There are guys out of work who got shortchanged, right? And I mentioned the name earlier with uh, Tom Vermin, right? He's going to get a job again. Whether you can forgive you freeze or not, and it's not just – it wasn't just, you know, sitting there from the pulpit, his religious pulpit, you know, wagging his finger, and then, you know, the guy is out of control <laughs> away from the field. It's not just that. It's the fact that he, uh, he actually did – he went, like, uber SEC and was really pushing the rules at Ole Miss, which maybe you have to do at Ole Miss, right? Sure. Um, but there are candidates out there. But the the crazy thing is, and I don't like I don't like Dan Mullen from a personality standpoint. He seems like he's whatever he is, fifty two, going on fourteen. But they played Alabama down to the wire. They had a good year last year. Like every freaking year, is every SEC coach's job on the line? That that's the crazy part about this is, it, like it doesn't have anything to do. It shouldn't have anything to do with there is no bang up candidate to take his job. How about he shouldn't get fired? Like every team in the conference can't win ten games. Someone has to be 500, and someone has to have four wins. This is the way it is. Well, you can't if Vanderbilt loses 100 games a year. Well, I mean, that is the one. You're right. That is the one standard. You know Vanderbilt. Okay, good point. Yeah. Everyone needs to play Vanderbilt three or four times right. a year. Yeah. And then you can all get to nine or ten wins. And believe me, they will try that. Instead Vanderbilt. of playing Charleston Southern and whatever directional team from the SoCon, Mercer and Sanford. But, by the way, that come on. Tell me that was not hilarious last week. Sanford up 42-35 on Florida at the half and 70-52 final. Everyone in the SEC is dropping in the Cofield playoff system. 
everyone's dropping. It's funny, guys I on just that. literally saw a tweet from somebody. I think a friend of the show. Actually, I can got to see who it was, but um, who said, "Why are they even doing a, a, a selection show tonight? Like nothing should have changed, right? If you do it, you're just doing it." To, to have a TV show, which oh, have, we know I it have, is. I had tons of changes this week. Okay. Well, teams jumping each other, teams dropping. You know, you play a weak team. The top 50, seven. 59-3 for Alabama. Not good enough. <laughs> Not by my standards. Wasn't it, like, it was like 52 at halftime, wasn't it? It was 40. It was 49 at half okay. because I had New Mexico State plus 51 and a half, and they made sure to score the 10 points to get the cover in okay. the fourth quarter. Good. Good. Or it was 46. It might have been 49-3 at half, and they won 59-3. Perfect. Yeah. So this is absurd. Um, listen, I hope VTech gets someone good, but now Justin Fuente is out there. Guess where Justin Fuente is going to be in like two years? Probably at a group of five job, and he'll probably do a good job. Like we're just bailing on guys. Not everyone's going to win ten games every year. But we. But this is what we're creating with the arms race of college sports and where it is. I agree. Like, like win, win right now. But you know, in a way, now I'm gonna I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna like touche myself here. In a way, when it says there's a lack of a lack of uh, lacking supply of top coaching candidates, there will come a point when there's so many jobs open. You're looking around. You're like, all right, who like who's ready for the jump up? And it's also why when you see list like now, Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State is popping up. So what's the rationale for a guy like that or Jane Orvell at Reno? Are you like okay? I'm probably going to last. I mean, you don't want to think this, but hey, if it if they're impatient and I only last three years there, make sure my agent gets me a $17 million buyout and I've got generational money. So I may as well do it and then I can just go back to where I was. Like I want to succeed and I want to kick ass. But we, we just talked to Sean O'Connell who played in the Pac-12, does Pac-12 radio. He starts rolling down more schools. We know there's three openings. There could be six. Six openings? But I think, I think that's it. You negotiate a, a massive buyout. And you go on, and then you also know, like, hey, I'm going to continue my relationships at this lower level because if I do get blown out in three years, I'm just coming right back. Yep. This one's great, too. So you saw what Otzelberger did here, right? His dream job was always Iowa State, so he takes the UNLV job. If Iowa State was ever going to open up, he was out. He leaves after two years. Shane Beamer, they like him in South Carolina. Well, now VTech is open. Frank was there forever. Guess who's going to be the number one candidate? So you may have an SEC coach now leave for the ACC after one year. But you also you had to know when you're South Carolina, you had to know what you were signing up for. And they, I'm sure they did. And I'm sure they had an eye and said, oh, what's, what's going to go on there? That would be a logical next stop for him. Just like, listen, UNLV had the understanding when they hired Otzelberger. Like, hey, if this guy's great, he's going to Iowa State at some point. And if not somewhere else, but they knew. And that, that's a different level thing. But you understand, like, there are jobs that people are going to leave for. And you, you have to keep an eye on those. It's not just about your school. It's about other schools as well. And um, I, I don't think it's going to get any better. I think that's the point of this. So Raiders get more bad news on the injury front. So Ingold's down for the year. Yeah. Sucks. One of the good guys on the team, ACL. And now your guy, Incognito, what's the deal? Set back with the calf. I mean, I feel I, like I saw someone in this room say just dump him. Was it this room? I think it was. It was me. I know multiple Dannys. Danny's running the show today, but I know multiple Dannys. But I, yeah, I think uh, he's like throwing it out there. He's like, yeah, just get rid of him. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if it's that easy. I mean, well, I, here's, is he coming back? I don't think so. Okay, but I mean, if he does, is he done? Is this his last year? Well, that w- that was my kind of question yesterday. And I'll ask one more. There is a benefit to having guys in your locker room. Sure. Is he around enough that you're like, you know, let's keep Richie around? Hey, well, you know, I'll throw in. I'm, I'm like adding 19 factors here. Uh, the other one is, do they – this is going to sound clunky. Do they owe it to him? Like, if they have room on the roster, do they owe it to him? Because he has benefited, we think, from the structure, correct? We think so. Okay. Um, and, again, I, I'm not in, we're not in the locker room enough to know how much Incognito's around. Right. That's, that's another one of the, you know – things that we've lost of being around there every day and knowing who's in there and who's who's around i assume he's at the facility quite a bit um i know he i've seen him a couple times i just haven't seen him every day um i think he does provide some leadership almost that like assistant coach type you know relatable to the players they they know that he's still 
somebody who's who's done it at that level, who understands them, who gets them. He could be there and and you know advise them, which sounds crazy with, when it's Richie Incognito, but I think it's true. Um, I don't necessarily think I would just cut ties with him, but I do think you start thinking about the future of all right. If he is done for the year, which it's starting to look like he probably is, uh, if he still if he has setback and he still has some time away, how much could he do now? If all of a sudden they win a couple games and they're almost in the thick of the playoffs and it's week sixteen, maybe you bring him back. But it seems like if it goes the other direction, you'd probably shut him down. But what does he still have? After missing a full season with an injury, he's, I don't know, 64 years old at this point. Um, late 30s. Seems like an unnecessary shot for a pal of yours. Uh, but he's late 30s, off an injury. How much can he give you next year? I don't know. Um, but you're right. There, there, there's a structure that's there. And I also think one of the other maybe complicating issues here is that he seems to be a Gruden guy. And Gruden's gone. And so... I think he's made an impression with the rest of the building, and people tend to like him, but it is a different regime now, and it will be most likely a completely different regime next year. Up next, let's bring in uh, Miles Simmons, who covers the Raiders, covers the NFL nationally now for Pro Football Talk, is based in L.A. We'll get his take on what's happened to the Raiders. As uh, Adam was pointing out, uh, Raiders are now down to make the playoffs is a 30% possibility. Wow, that changed quickly. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Going to bring some pressure against Carr in the pocket. Moving to his left, he just throws it up for grabs. A jump ball that's going to be... Intercepted? Yes, Daniel Sorensen, Dirty Dan Sorensen, as Carr just threw it up for grabs. From the fantastic Nova Home Loan Studios, Cofield and Company is back. Chiefs Radio Network, where you can talk to Chiefs fans before this week, uh, Dirty Dan, they had other names for him. He was the villain of that defense for, for Chiefs fans. Uh, giveaway right now, 364 364 Got the after party going down. It's the best one in town, and it's the closest one to the stadium at Crazy Horse 3. Gentlemen's Club, caller 6 and 7, VIP packs to hang out with Fox Sports Radio, and Greg Salerno is going to be hosting the party. Crazy Horse has the great kitchen right there. You get the pizza, chicken sandwiches. What else, Adam? What else? What else did you give a try to? Oh, so long ago when you were actually eating food. Seasoned the, wings. Oh. That's your cup of tea. The chicken sandwiches are just a game changer. Uh, you get in free with a ticket from the game, and right now we're hooking people up with VIP treatment that gets you and uh, three others in for free, table, and you'll get a uh, bucket or a bottle. Ari will determine what you get. How about that? All the pressure's on Ari, so be nice to him. Caller 6 and 7, 364-1100. Miles Simmons is up. All right, Miles, I'll just throw a, a lob one to you. What the hell just happened to the Raiders? Because it feels like the season just took a bad turn, a real bad turn. Well, I think uh, what the hell happened in, you know, the last two years, right? It, it's kind of the same stuff that we've seen, although I think like this year it's different because of all of the circumstances that are surrounding the team. You know, I think that it probably just becomes a little bit too much. You know, there's only so much water that the dam can take before the thing breaks, or the levee, whatever analogy you want to use. I don't know. But I think that at this point, you know, A, do you let the Chiefs get their mojo back on your home court, you know, with the crowd all there? It's not like it was last year in that Sunday night game where it was back and forth and back and forth and, you know, Mahomes and Mahomes things at the end. It was like, no, like you had one of your starting safeties get mossed by a running back. Like that is not good by any stretch of the imagination. And so I guess, you know, now the Raiders are really at a turning point, okay, because you've got the Bengals coming in who will have the same record as you, you're ostensibly going to be fighting for one of the same playoff spots with that wild card unless things you know, get crazy and somehow the Raiders get back into it in the division. I don't really see that happening. Um, but you know, now you might start looking like a team that has a, a lame duck coach or they're going to be galvanized and they're going to get back to it and they're going to start winning again. I mean, we'll see. But I mean, when you, everybody knows that Versace is the interim, right? I, I, and given all the circumstances that have happened with this team, like I, I don't know how they're going to really recover from it. I mean, what do you think, Adam? Yeah, I don't, I don't see it. That was just going to be my follow-up, though. Like, 
what hope do you have? I mean, you know, if that's the right word, of like, what chance do you see of them stopping the bleeding and actually resurrecting the season? Even though, listen, they're they're tied for the final playoff spot right now. It's not like they're out of it, but it just seems like they are. No, it does, and I think you know, part of it is that you have a coach who probably is not going to be there next year unless you start ripping off like four wins in a row. And I'm not the first person to bring this point up, but you know when you had um, uh, the late coach who's uh, Tony Sperano, right, in 2014, it was sort of the same situation. They had gone 3-3 three and three through the rest of the year after they fired Dennis Allen, but there was a game where they lost 52 to nothing to a pretty crappy Rams team that was led by, at that point, by Sean Hill. I was at that game. It was ridiculous because Trey Mason, who has been out of the league now for the last four or five years, he only had that one year, and then the Rams drafted Todd Gurley, and it totally changed the trajectory or anything that he could do. But he went off in that game, right? And so, you know, apparently Mark Davis couldn't get that thing out of his mind, so he ends up hiring Jack Del Rio. I, I sort of feel like we're on the same train track right now, and I don't know. The, the way you get off of that. But I guess the thing that's different now is you have somebody like Derek Carr who can lead the team. And I think that he's done a good job so far of keeping things together, but he can't be throwing up YOLO balls, right? Like he did in that last game, in, you know, getting intercepted by Dirty Dan Sorensen, as we heard in the clip coming back from Rick. Like these things, I know that, you know, it effectively is an arm punt. You know, I'm getting people in my Twitter mentions justifying it like that. But that's not the way these things can go, you know, because all that does is gives the other team a little bit of momentum. And when you're playing teams that can score with explosive plays and explosive players, and Cincinnati Bengals can do that, you're just giving them that advantage. You, you can't do that when, you know, you are yourself trying to fight for a playoff spot. Carr also did get hit. And I, I, I do – I mean, this is a low bar, but there was a fourth down play late in the game when the game was decided – where Carr rolled out, ran about 100 yards, and then decided to actually throw up kind of a Hail Mary instead of throwing it away. I, I'm, I'm going to give yes. him credit. I'll give him credit for that. Well, we've seen him because we've, yeah, we've seen him throw the ball away. Right. Right. In those situations. You know, I don't remember if it was the last game or the second to last game at the Oakland Coliseum, but that exact same situation came up and he ended up throwing the ball away. And it was one of those things where you're just like, dude, what are you doing? You know, so maybe this is, you know, some of the progression in the maturation process, whatever you want to call it. You do see a little bit different from Derek Carr. Sure. Uh, who, I mean, is it easy to say right now the Chiefs are going to win the AFC West and pretty much the other teams are playing for wild cards? Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I thought I've been disappointed in the Chargers in the last yeah. few weeks. I just, especially after the way they started, I thought that they might. Not necessarily run away with the division, but I thought that they would be able to pull away at some point. But their run defense has not gotten better. I mean, they didn't really play very well against a pretty mediocre Minnesota Vikings team a week after they go across country and they beat the Eagles in their house. I'm just not necessarily feeling the Chargers is really serious contenders in that division unless Kansas City starts falling off again, which, frankly, is entirely possible. So, this, this this league is so weird this year, Adam. I, I don't even really know who all the good teams are. I think I know that Tennessee is good because they keep beating teams that were in the playoffs last year. And even though they don't have Derrick Henry, they've been finding ways to win. I think I know that the Cowboys are pretty good. I think I know that some other NFC teams are good. But in the AFC, man, I, I think the Patriots are pretty good because they're ascending. But, like, other than that, I don't know. It's so weird. It is weird because, I, I mean, you were just saying a second ago, Oh, Cincinnati has some explosive players, and you know they can cause some problems, can they? I mean, they've been awful the last two games. I know they really have, but it's. It, I feel like they just had their bye, you know, and they can come back, and maybe now after getting away from the little bit, they can be like, "All right, yes, we figured out exactly what we need to do." But I mean, after the after you go to Baltimore and beat the brakes off them, and you go to New York and New Jersey, whatever you want to call it, and then you lose to Mike White, and then you get absolutely blistered by the Cleveland Browns, who then go and get blistered by the New England Patriots. Like, I don't know exactly what was going on there in Cincinnati, but I, I do feel like they have the kind of players that can start to right the ship, especially coming off of a bye week. And, you know, if you've got guys like Joe Burrow, you've got guys like Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon and the way that they've been able to perform, I feel like, over the course of the season, for the most part, 
I, I think after the bye, you might start to see a little bit of a resurgence there. Miles Simmons, pro football talk, joining us here as he does each and every Tuesday. Uh, is Le'Veon Bell's career over? Oh, boy. Uh, it, it's on his last legs, right? I mean, he didn't do anything that was very impressive with Baltimore. I mean, he had a few carries in that Minnesota game. Um, he got a touchdown there. But other than that, I mean, it's just he wasn't impressive with the Jets. He wasn't impressive with Kansas City. I mean, Baltimore, you would think that they would give him a decent amount of chances. But, like, eh, you know, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't think that there's much left in the tank for him. And, you know, this kind of goes back to his entire point of, like, sitting out that year was, I'm a running back. I know what I should make. And I, based on what I've already done in this league, and my career has a shelf life based on the amount of hits that I've taken. Um, and so he got a lot of guaranteed money from the New York Jets, right? So, like, good for him for that purpose. But it, it also, to me, when I think about Le'Veon Bell, I think about Derrick Henry and how unbelievable it was that he was able to do what he did for, I mean, two and a half years before getting hurt in any way. Like, what, what Derrick Henry did was ridiculous. And there's still a chance that he could come back for the playoffs, I guess, but... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, to answer your question, yeah, it probably there's probably one more stop left with Le'Veon Bell before he's really done. Is Matt Stafford going to turn into Lions Matt Stafford with Odell Beckham around? No. I, look, I, this is the weird thing about the Rams going against uh, the 49ers. They've not beaten the 49ers at, since I stopped covering the Rams in 2018. The last time they beat them was the last week of the 2018 season where C.J. Anderson just pounded the ball and, you know, the Niners were just trying to get out the hell out of Dodge. But in 2019, right, like the Niners were very good and they went to the, the Super Bowl. They beat them both times. Last year, the Niners just inexplicably beat the Rams twice. So this is what the Niners do to the Rams. For whatever reason, it's like their Super Bowl. And the Rams have not been able to kind of match the physicality that the Niners use or – Stop them when it comes to their scheme. I mean, a couple of years ago, I think it was in 2019, the Rams let the Niners convert two third and 16s toward the end of the game. The Rams had been leading in that game for basically the entire time. I honestly feel like that's part of why Wade Phillips got let go after that year, and then they replaced him with Brandon Staley. So, look, I, I just the Rams were missing Robert Woods, you know, for the first time in years, that is one of the guys that makes that offense go. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to get integrated into things, and they're another team that's got to buy this week. And I feel like after the emotion of losing a Robert Woods, who is so important to that team, after a Friday practice where you don't even think something's wrong and it, tears, it turns out he's torn his ACL, I mean, you go into that game, you've got to switch things up really quickly. Yeah, you're probably not going to look your best, especially knowing that you have a buy the next week. But I, I don't think that this means the sky is falling for them. I just think it means that they need to make sure that they right the ship. I think that they'll be able to do it. I don't know exactly how they're going to look against the Green Bay Packers, considering you know Matt LaFleur, their head coach, used to coach with Sean McVay, and Joe Barry, their defensive coordinator, was on Sean McVay's staff um, up until this year. Um, so they know the Rams extremely well. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. But I, I just I don't think the sky is falling for LA. I think they're still going to be a playoff team. Will they win that division? I don't think so. I think the Cardinals are much better than them, at least at this point. But they still could make a run in the postseason. What's on Peacock this week? I am going to be on Peacock this week tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, we will be breaking down everything that happens within the last 24 hours in the NFL on PSTPM at 2 o'clock Pacific time, so that is Wednesday and Friday on the Peacock Network, the exclusive streaming home of the office. Miles, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. There he is, Miles Simmons. Pro Football Talk used to work at the RJ, the Rams, the Panthers. We didn't have enough time, but, uh, you know, I was just thinking, because I saw Miles had one of his 18 stories up today, and Dan Campbell's being asked about golf, and you know who else they could play, and it's like he doesn't want to say it, but like it's their best option. It's, it's David Blau, Blow, whatever his name is, is on the roster. Who's the backup? Is that the backup? I don't even know. But you, like you're paying him, you may as well just play him and see how the year plays out. He his numbers actually don't look bad, except for the rating and the QBR, because he's it's eight touchdowns, six interceptions, twenty one hundred yards, sixty six percent completion percentage. It doesn't mean a whole lot now because a lot of guys, a lot of the offense is dink and dunk. And I started thinking he's twenty seven. He's making like $35 million a year. 
is he going to play in his 30s or is he just going to walk? Like, if he's not a starter, if you made that much freaking money, are you just going to be clipboard Jesus and be a backup for, like, nine years? I would say no, but I'd also – I also see, like, guys who seem to have a bunch of money who played – who now become like broadcasters or analysts? Like you just, well, he's not going to be a broadcaster. No, I know what I'm he's saying. An idiot. He's I don't want to call him an idiot, but um, just because he doesn't know where the sun rises. Not intelligent. Uh, but I feel you like, went to Cal. But what I'm saying is, like, it's so hard to get away. Like, what are you going to do? Just sit on the couch all day? No, I. I don't know. He's going to make like 140 million dollars. Him, I'm doing whatever his girlfriend says. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure that you know you have to fill your days somehow. So you, would you would you want to do it at home? Or? I mean, Jay Cutler seems to be getting along pretty well. He's putting out like a good podcast. He came back, ha- happy guy. He came back. He did come back a couple times. Like it, it draws you. Philip Rivers seems well. He's also like forty, and he's like teasing a comeback now. And he has a lot of kids. Yeah, it takes it takes a lot to. It's well, hard, he might he, the, like he's he's entertaining a cup of coffee. He's not going to come back. I'm talking about a guy who's 27 now. When his contract's up, the league may be like, you know, you're going to bounce around as a backup. You're not even going to be a top six backup in the league. That's how bad it's looked. Right, but that's what I'm saying is that you like it's it's very hard to just say, okay, I'm going to go sit on the couch and just count money all day. God, I could do it in a heartbeat, but I'm also 20 years old or 25. For, years I older. bet you for a year. After that, like it starts to become like you you need to find a way to fill your day. I was wait, but I won't do that. That's, that's fine. And nobody else. I mean, your bro- I don't know your your brother tweets, and that's kind of what he does. And uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's you know, there's some other problems there, but it just I don't know. Seems he's, happy sometimes, kind of down at others. He's not happy. I don't know why I'm bringing <laughs> him not. up, and I just he's not. Happy. I was just thinking, like, what it would be. I'm just not going to work. I'd like you know. And there's a difference. Your brother is making 36 million this year. Because like in the last 15 years, I'm the only person in my entire family that's had a job. Is that what you're saying? Property values have gone up 20% year over year, and so have rental rates. Quit paying your landlord these record high rental rates and purchase your dream home today. Call Dustin DeHart at 577-2600. It is an antidote to the politics and all those woke storylines in so many shows today. You know, I was watching an episode of uh, You where measles came up. Wait, wait, wait. When did I mention measles? I don't know. It was on you. From the fantastic Nova Home Loan Studios, Cofield and Company is back. Not a bit, right? Oh, it's a bit. Well, I mean, I know her show is a bit. That's Laura Ingram, but she was utterly confused. She just couldn't get out of that. No. Oh, you think they were doing that on purpose? A million percent, yes. It's a, it's an attempt at a bit that's terrible. Oh, okay, all right. It's awful. I thought they actually were confused. No, 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 no. Why'd they do that? Because they thought it was hilarious. Oh, you can see in their eyes, they think they are creating comedy gold over there on that show. A lot of people bought it as real. Really? I thought have you were you, just you, doing a bit. Have you, have you read the internets today? I thought you were just doing a bit. No. No, the, it was absolutely a bit. Okay. <laughs> Is uh, Carlos Correa blanking us on this one? Did you see him go on a podcast and crap on Derek Jeter, saying basically don't compare me to Derek Jeter because he was a terrible fielder? So you're saying Carlos Correa is speaking truth? Okay. Well, but I don't get I don't get why he would say that. Why would you bite the hand that could feed you? Would you want to play for the Marlins? Well, I think we're talking about the Yankees. Oh, okay. That he ripped a Yankees legend and hey, look, there's Carlos Correa. He'd be like another Jeter in New York. I mean, I think he wants to make people forget about Jeter. Plus, he's going to the Tigers anyway. He's going to the Tigers. Yeah. Okay. Rebuilding. No, it's – listen, yes, it's probably silly on that level of, hey, you're – I love there. the honesty. Sure. I think it's great, but I would also – I would do it after I signed elsewhere. I would – I wouldn't do anything to jeopardize the Yankees being dumb enough to – and I'll say this for anyone now. If you're giving any player – I don't care if it's Tatis Jr., it's Mookie Betts. If you're giving a player a 10-year deal, it's dumb. And that's the kind of deal someone is going to step up and give Carlos Correa. And the Yankees sure. – frankly, the Yankees don't need to do that. They can kind of pick and choose and go with short-term contracts and make sure they don't get stuck in situations where they got, you know, like the Dodgers with Kershaw, where on the back end you're like, 
Boy, this isn't working. And they shouldn't – obviously, they shouldn't commit, as you're, as you're saying, to a deal like that. But on some level, Carlos Correa is kind of being honest and saying, hey, Yankees, you know what? If you want a Derek Jeter that's actually good, yeah, that's what you're getting in me. Because the, the Derek Jeter that you celebrate as being like the greatest player of all time wasn't an actually a very good baseball player on that level. Do you want the guy that you think he was? Sign me. I would if the Yankees say the Yankees are going to offer Carlos Correa like ten years, three hundred and fifty million dollars. If you told me they were going to put that money into immediately um, a couple of like top notch starting pitchers, and they get forty million dollars a year for like two years, and then sign upwards of ten closers and setup guys for top dollars, whatever those top dollars are, are never going to add up to three hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, I mean, I would rather do that. Like, I would love to see a team use the Rays plan, but, like, with money. And they're like, yeah, we have seven closers, and we have the top five setup guys on the roster, and they might not even all be up in the majors the whole year. Sorry, guys. We're going to rotate. You're going to be a AAA sometimes. Yeah, that would I think be... it would be, like, one of the most brilliant things ever. Like, let's really do this. Well, of course it would be brilliant, but that's why teams won't do it. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not making it up. Like, I seven closers. No, Every not. closer that's available... And then every guy who's a backup, every, every good backup closer that's available, get 12 of them. I mean, it's going to be t- there's going to be guys that aren't going to accept it because if you're – You just pay the money. Right, but It even, still won't add up to $350 million. Right, but you're talking about one year None deals. of them make more. I mean, there's – how many closers actually make more than like $15 million a year? So you offer all these ones and twos at the back of the bullpen somewhere between 6 and $11 million. And you're right, not everyone may accept it. They won't because they'd be saying – so you want me to come in and be like the sixth inning guy? You're, some, you know, you might be the freaking starter. You might be the fifth, sixth inning guy. But you know what? You know, we might have trouble on the back end. You're the closer, right? But if, if you're saying, okay, I'm the fifth best closer in the league, and you're saying you're going to come in and join a staff with like the nine best closers, well, well, then I would say I want to go somewhere to actually close because at the end of this one year deal you're giving me, well, I'm not. I'm not talking one year deals. I would be doing two and three year deals. It's a little bit better, but yeah. I still want to go somewhere where I can cash in because I'm the elite closer, not the elite six-inning guy that should be a closer. Like, really, that's the do- – because the Yankees obviously care about money because the Steinbrenner kid is a cheap ass, right? He's just sure. not going to do what his dad did. Um, but if the Dodgers just made the shift, like if they learned their lesson from Trevor Bauer, well, although Bauer was kind of what I'm talking about where you're giving, like, whatever he got, three years and $105 million. Uh, but I would love to see them just spread the wealth and just – because that's the way they want to play anyway, Right. I mean, yeah. sort of Dave Roberts, but it's really from upstairs where it's like, yeah, well, you know, three days a week, we're just going to have an opener. We don't need some power arm. We're just going to have – it's Leo, we're going to have seven Corey Kniebels on the roster. No, I think that's the way to absolutely So someone do it. That. Let's do it. And it'll, it'll drive freaking baseball traditionists and purists freaking nuts. I, I, I think that's probably – there probably are some GMs out there that want to do it right now. I think saying that you should do it is different than actually being able to do it and going out and getting those guys to sign and, and to commit. And, you know, if you're talking about two- and three-year deals now for six or seven closers, like now we are kind of getting over to that $350 million or higher mark um, if you're going to really buy all these guys. And now you're – now you're what are you going to do on the offense? Like you still have to – because the Yankees still have a huge offensive payroll. Not, they're not getting rid of those guys. So now you're going to have, I don't know, what, a 400, $450, 500000000 million payroll? I love it. I just don't see a team doing it. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Spring in Sam Paniatovich, Cofield, Adam Hill. What's up, Sam? Sammy! I'm here. I'm here. Don't yell. Don't yell. What's up, buddy? Doing good. Doing good. I was actually talking. You know, I forgot to bring this up last week. I was talking to our buddy, the Crippler at Oasis, and he said, we all got to get back there soon. And I said, well, every time I talk to Cofield about going there, he's out of town. He runs away. So I said, I don't know. I said, you figure it out with Cofield when he wants to go back. And uh, it's on you from here on out. I'll, I'll be there when I can. I mean, but I like that Sammy's throwing out these like accusations when he's the king of flying. He's like, "Hey, I'm here." You're like, well, "You never said you were coming." He's like, "Well, I got here an hour ago. My flight's in two hours. What do you got, <laughs> dude? You can't do that." It's a very, it's a very fair counter. Although I, but here's the thing: like I've learned, most people that are in Vegas, they're more about spontaneity than they are about planning actual things. Yeah. So most people, when you're like, 
hey, like, you want to hang out in two hours? They're like, yep, like, I got nothing better to do. But when you say, hey, I'll be there in a month, it's like, let me know when we get closer. So I'm in that middle ground there. Uh, what's going on with your resident Mush, the bartender? God, he sucks. He's back to uh, he's back to picking losers. And I, I love the best bartender pick is the Monday night pick after a goose egg. Those that don't know, bartender's a guy on chicken dinner. He was 11 and 23 last year picking NFL sides and totals. He went 0 and 2 this weekend. He had the Colts and he had the Titans. So after that 0 and 2 disaster, he goes into the lab, and I use lab with quotation marks in the air. He goes into the lab and comes out with a Monday night player prop. Matthew Stafford over 284 and a half yards. He had seven yards in the first quarter. Like, and you know when my guy fires a prop, yeah. he's just pulling straws. That, like he exactly. has no idea what he's doing. Exactly. It is desperation time. He's like, I can't get a side. Let me go to a prop. All right. That's, that's going to be a loser. Uh, so I think all of us, I don't know if you jumped on it, but all of us, for a few weeks there, we're looking at the Chiefs as our numbers for the division got better and better, and what I mean is more favorable to bet on them. And we're thinking, you know what, let's sprinkle a little bit of money. And uh, now it's starting to look better because the rest of the division has a lot of question marks. Well, not even the division, but the, the conference is yeah. where the most movement has happened. You know, you and I were talking, I think it was two weeks ago, the Chiefs were 7-1 to one to win the AFC. And you look up, like Circa in Vegas has 375. I think Westgate's got 4-1. to one. A couple other books in the country, four to one, four twenty-five. So their odds have pretty much been cut almost in half, and, and off of one performance, really. But man, if I'm a team in the AFC and I watch the film of that game, I know it's just one game, and you don't want to overreact to just one game, dude. Mahomes threw for almost five hundred yards, and I think the biggest thing to take away, well, two things really. One on each side of the ball. On offense, their line has gotten healthier, and they're protecting Mahomes more, which allows him to get the ball to guys in space and let them make moves, like yards after the catch. They were awful at that because the line was getting no protection. Now he's got protection on offense, and we'll see how that continues to click. But nobody talks about the Chiefs' defense. They bring in Melvin Ingram, who was a rock star with the Chargers. Remember, it was Ingram and Bosa for years. Ingram ends up in Pittsburgh, didn't work out there. They've got Chris Jones and Melvin Ingram on opposite ends of the center now, and you can't block them both. They are getting to the quarterback. They are putting pressure in that pocket, and if you can get to the quarterback, it makes the linebackers better. It makes the secondary better. Yes, to your point, they're much more in line to win the division. They also had better odds to win the conference now, and I'm telling you what, man, if you watch that game back on film, I know the Raiders aren't great, but the Chiefs dominated them, dominated them. And let's also wait and see. Like every team in the league has played the same way against the Chiefs defensively, and the Raiders got kind of arrogant and said, "No, no, no, we're doing what we do." So I, I do want to see the Chiefs do it. <laughs> like I was impressed with the Chiefs' offense watching them in person, but I want to see them do it against the t- the way that every other team has been defending them before I'm really all in. But like Steve, I have been betting Chiefs a little bit here and there. Uh, best number I got I think was plus one ten to win the division. Now it's a little bit. Better. So wait, Adam, were they going mostly? Did they play mostly man against the Chiefs? No, but they were playing a lot of cover three when every other team in the league is playing a two-deep shell against them. And the problem is, and I understand what the Raiders were doing, the the two, couple times they did try to go with the two-deep shell, which is the blueprint for how you beat the Chiefs, it's Jonathan Abram in coverage. Like, now, there's no not, Was it nine catches for 127 yards when he was targeted? Nine of nine. Yeah, yeah. not good. Nine, uh, nine targets, nine, nine for 127. Um, but, like, the, I mean, that's the wow. problem where the Raiders are like, well, we can't do that because we have Abram. Where's the rule that says he has to be on the field? Yeah. Like, how about you take him out of the game and play the way you're supposed to play against him? I think that's the, that's the strategy. But, like I said, I, I, do, I was very, very impressed by the Chiefs, but I think, I think it was kind of a little bit of arrogance on the Raiders' side, too. A hundred percent. And here's the other thing that I took away from that game. And I'm not saying it's a good bet now. It was a great bet. It's amazing what some of these exotic markets can do, you know, like to win the MVP, for example. So going into this weekend, Patrick Mahomes to win the NFL MVP, 50 to 1, 60 to 1, 65, 70. FanDuel had 80 to 1 on Mahomes to win the MVP. Guys, I looked up the odds this morning. Points bet at 14 to 1. DraftKings, 16 to 1. Caesar, 17. FanDuel, 18. MGM, 22 to 1. There were 80 and 70 to 1 available before the Raider game. If you would have bet that, you would have been a very, very happy camper. I'm not saying he's going to win the award, and I'm not necessarily saying to bet him now, 
But if you can get ahead of the big game, middle of the season in the NFL, like this happened when Lamar Jackson won the MVP. Like after week seven, eight, nine, he wasn't the favorite. And then all of a sudden, oh, my God, he's the favorite. So if you can get ahead of the right guy at a great number, man, imagine holding 80-1 to on Mahomes right now to win the MVP. Yeah, it's all it's all about narrative, and if if we look back at the end of the year and he was written off midway through the year, and all of a sudden they've won seven of nine or eight of nine, and he's going for four hundred yards a game, he's going to win it. I think that's pretty fair to say. Uh, any interest from you, Sam, in laying a touchdown on a Thursday night with a road team? Absolutely not. It's funny. I was actually texting with Steve earlier. So we have this uh, this betting pilot we're taping at Nesson. Really cool stuff, and, and we're actually doing it this week. And obviously, we're taping it on Thursday. Thursday night football is coming up. And I'm sitting in a production meeting at the New England Sports Network. And there are 12 people in the room. Tell me how 13 out of 12 all want to lay the touchdown. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to lose. Like, okay, maybe they're not going to lose. But everybody is in a rush now to lay seven points with a rookie quarterback short week on the road. I I know the Falcons stink, but, man, like, the last time the Patriots hung a number this big, they laid 10 to the Texans, and they almost lost that game outright. Like, I, I love Belichick as a dog. Uh, it was a great bet against the, the Cowboys. It was a great bet against the Buccaneers. There have been some good spots when they're catching points, but now you have no margin for error. And what happens if Mac Jones throws his first game, first pass of the game for a pick or a pick six, and then they have to deal with some adversity? Like, I... I'm not laying seven short week with Mac Jones, man. Like, give the kids some time. But the narrative here is flipped. Three weeks ago, they sucked. Now they're making the playoffs. And somebody on the radio this morning said, it feels like 0-1, great defense, rookie quarterback. I'm like, oh, my God, God. can we stop already? Can we stop? Jabronis. Sam Paniotovich is with us. Nesson, Fox. All right. College football, I want to start playing against these teams that are in the hunt in the CFP. What do I do with Oregon and Utah? Oregon's a dog. I'm crushing Oregon, taking the three. Uh, I watched a bunch of pundits already on, uh, on ESPN TV say that Utah was going to roll them. and I don't know that there's a better team in the Pac-12 in the trenches. Offensive line, defensive line, we know that Oregon is built to run the football and really stop the run. They've gotten better, man. And I'll tell you what, when they're catching points, that's almost an auto bet for me doesn't happen often. You know, Oregon's usually laying big numbers. They're laying 14, 17, 24. I remember we talked about Oregon at UCLA about a month ago or so, and I'm like, you got to take the two. You got to do it. They're getting three at Utah. Oregon, they're just a better team, and this is the best their third-down offense has been in a decade. That's saying something about Oregon. I mean, they had guys like Marcus Mariota at quarterback, and they weren't that good on third-down back then. They get to third and three, third and four, and they convert. They keep the offense on the field. They keep the defense well-rested. I don't think there's really any reason why you shouldn't take three points right now. Think about a little money line bet, too. I think the Ducks beat Utah in Salt Lake City. Can I throw you another factor on that, Sam? Yep. Can you tell me what the game means to Utah? I I don't know that it does mean anything, it honestly. Means zero. Like, I, I, I don't know, like, but – but you watch all these shows, and it's like, well, not that I'm just fading all these shows, but well, Utah's gonna like Utah's gonna run away with this. What what has Utah shown you that they're gonna run away against Oregon? Oregon under Mario Cristobal, there are a lot of doubters about his in-game coaching. And I, look, I'll meet you in the middle there. I don't think he's the greatest in-game coach in the world, but the talent that he has brought into Eugene over the last five years, I mean, like we're talking multiple top ten classes. They might have the number one overall pick in Kayvon Thibodeau on the defensive line. If he doesn't go one, he's going two or three. That team has a lot of talent. They're going to be even better next year, but that's a very good team, and they got something to prove. I I don't think you're going to catch them sleeping. That's for sure. Sam, we appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. All right, gentlemen. See you. There he is, Sam Paniotovich, Nesson, Fox Sports. So finish your thought on Utah. Why wouldn't they be, um, be motivated? Well, they're they're playing again in a couple of weeks in the Pac-12 championship. That's not that's not official. It's not guaranteed. But they got Colorado next week. I mean, they're going to win that game. They're going to win the division. They have Utah's doing one of the next two to win the division and play in the Pac-12 championship game. They're not playing in the national title game. So really, this game doesn't mean anything. And in fact, if they were smart, they wouldn't show anything to Oregon in this game because the the only game that really matters is the Colorado game. Now. Again, with kids and in, in the passion of college football in a home game with the crowds all fired up, you're gonna you're going to go out there and play your hardest. There, there's no doubt about that. But in it, like really, the game doesn't mean anything. The the game that matters is the rematch in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. 
with the best combination of service rates and fees. Call today to talk to your local Nova Loan Officer to lock in at these record low interest rates before they go up. Call Dustin DeHart at 577-2600. Live from the Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. All right, 5 o'clock hours here. We actually are going to cut out a little bit early today on a uh, day at Nova Home Loans. We're going to hand it off to uh, both uh, both of the coaches' shows. Kevin Kruger Radio Show is coming up, both of the UNLV coaches' shows. Kevin Kruger Radio Show is coming up at 5.30, live at the Orleans. And then at 6.30, Marcus Arroyo Radio Show goes down from Parkway Tavern, down by the M on Volunteer. So we got uh, back-to-back and a belly-to-belly. The coaches' shows in just a little bit. But we did want to update. I know Adam does not want to do this. And it's not the guest. Like, John Sassenti is a wonderful person. But I love John. John, uh, Adam is here finally for one of your spots. But uh, he so hates the CFP, and he gets so worked up, he actually tries not to talk about it because otherwise he blows a gasket. <laughs> well, hopefully he's not talking about the Peach Bowl from a year ago. At least he's talking about this year's rankings. <laughs> sure. Oh, my God. You know the logic on that, right? I've got Cincinnati one because everyone keeps telling me Cincinnati can't play with Georgia. They just played with them at the beginning of the year. They were they were leading the game and they took their foot off the gas pedal. SEC team, screw it. That was in, that was in a game that was relevant to the wow. to the outcome of the of the national championship. All bowl games are relevant. Of course, if the they kids are, are there. The, they're the relevant. If the kids are there, they're relevant. They matter. Yes, I love. If bowl the kids games. are there. They're relevant. Yeah, I love not, bowl not, games. Not fifty-eight-year-old guy like you who only looks at a couple of games as being relevant. No, what I'm saying is like, right, John. Don't all bowl games matter? Like the Las Vegas Bowl. All bowl games matter, but when ranking the teams this year, I can't take into account last year's bowl game. And it was also an opportunity for a school that gets zero respect, like Cincinnati. To get Stop. their shot against a team that was like you don't th- you know you don't get to pick and choose the spots you're motivated in and not motivated <laughs> yes, you in. Do Adam, Adam, I'm so glad you're back, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You don't because you're not around the situation. You don't talk to the kids. You don't talk to the coaches. You have no idea what Georgia was thinking going into that game. None. You can so, look at so, it from afar sure. and go, "I'm going to apply a general principle." <laughs> okay. What what's, what you think? So. That was the the highlight of Georgia's life. I don't care what it was. Was that show up to play? If you don't, then you get your teeth kicked in for three quarters. All right, that's it. All right, John. So give us the update on uh, what we're looking at right now with the latest projections for your game. It's Big Ten against Pac-12. I saw a projection yesterday. I did not like it. Purdue and UCLA. What are you hearing? What are you feeling? Because you get to make part of this decision. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, to update everybody else who's maybe driving around uh, in their cars and missed the college football ranking, Cincinnati is still not number one. They're at number five this week. Um, so, so for all of you that are wondering, they still have not cracked in. But for our game, I think um, I think it's it's every week. I think we can knock another team off the list and uh, and kind of wind it down a little bit. You know, the the, the Pac-12 is going to be a real interesting one because we got to see what happens with Utah and, and and Oregon. They potentially play each other twice. Um, and, and that has an opportunity to maybe get two into the system with if Oregon wins out and, and Utah somehow represents the Pac-12 in the Rose Bowl, uh, I think our teams that we're choosing from are, are UCLA and ASU uh, and possibly Oregon State. But if, uh, if, if something does happen crazy there, then I think Utah drops back into our window and we're looking at Utah, UCLA, and, uh, and ASU potentially there. The Big Ten side is still pretty loaded. Um, but again, they, we, we, we keep chopping one out week in and week out. I think, you know, given the rankings this week with Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State all at, at like four, six, and seven, uh, I think that puts Wisconsin, Iowa, Penn State, and Purdue uh, as the four teams in the window. With probably, I'd say, the leaders in the clubhouse today would be Iowa, Purdue, and, and Penn State, with Wisconsin still having to finish out the season. I know a lot of Iowa fans. That'll be fun. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that everybody I talk to says that, that listen, we're in a really good position on that side, I think. And, and, and if we had Iowa in the game, uh, I, I don't care what happens there. They will, they will definitely be ready to come to Vegas. They will definitely travel. Um, they're known to travel really, really well. And, listen, this is a bowl destination that they've not, they've not been used to going to. They've been spending a lot of time in, in, in bowl games in Florida. 
this is a this is a pretty unique experience for them and and, and a great destination. So I, I think they travel really really well. I'll make the bold prediction. Um, I don't think I don't think Oregon's winning two matchups against Utah. I don't disagree with you. Yeah. So. I don't think Oregon's going to be in the CFP. And the funny thing is, I know you mock on my rankings, but uh, if you talk to the guys at the books, Oregon is actually behind Cincinnati and multiple Big Ten teams, like Ohio State. Wisconsin is actually power rated higher than Oregon. So I think it's going to work itself out. And not that I'm rooting against Oregon, but I do not think Oregon is going to close out 3-0. Well, I, I think you know. The, the, I think there's a lot of people that feel the same way as you, and I think in, in, in years past, everybody wants to kind of sit back and wait and see if the, the Pac-12 can finish out. Uh, they've been known to beat each other up over the years, um, and I think they just have to. Uh, everybody's kind of kind of playing a wait and see game. But listen, I, th- I think either way, we're we're in a we're in a really good position, potentially having two ranked teams here, um, and 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 for us, it's it's uh, it, it's looking pretty good, pretty exciting. You referenced earlier Cincinnati not yet in the top four. What are the chances they are? Um, listen, I, here's the thing. The things have to kind of play themselves out, right? You still have Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State still sitting there. Any combination of those three still have to play each other. So uh, I, I think I saw Houston. Uh, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but Houston cracked into the top 25 at, what, like 21, 22 maybe. That's good for Cincinnati. It can give them a potential uh, uh, ranked team win if they play them uh, in their championship game. So it, it's going to be tight. I, uh, <laughs> I, I can't say for, for certainly I think that they're going to get in, but uh, it, it's certainly going to be interesting. And, Steve, I, I don't understand why you're so upset about that one. You're not upset about, to me, you seem like the type of person to be screaming on the mountaintop that Michigan is still ranked ahead of Michigan State somehow. To me, that one seems a little more egregious. Oh, stop. Do you want to undertake this fight? Because Adam's been a <laughs> lunatic since uh, Michigan, he thinks, got screwed in the game. Nothing. Here, it's not, here not we my, go, Adam. Not, Let's go. Wind you up. Let's hear it's, it. It's not my opinion. Like, what... <laughs> What are what is the and and I think I think it's a fair question. Like I've been saying this for a while, and now Steve is saying and Steve admitted that this is not about Michigan. I've been saying this for so many years, but what is the point of officials coming out and saying, "Hey, we screwed up the game. We are the ones that cost them the game." If you're not going to take that into account when you do the ratings, Michigan didn't lose to Michigan State. Michigan lost to the officials. That happened, and the officials said that. So, like, at what point do we say, "Okay"? That's who won the game. Like, that's how we should do this. Come on, John. Look, I'm just going off of what it said in the, in the, in the score column. Yes, I'm saying we, that's stupid. <laughs> You're not stupid. That's a stupid philosophy that people have. This is, John, this is a good debate, you, you the whole head-to-head stupid. thing, and there are a lot of factors that go into head-to-head. No, no I'm, not, I'm not calling you stupid, John. I'm saying <laughs> like, that's what people – hey, they won. Okay, but then why are the officials coming out and saying it's, all, and it's on us? Don't do that then if we're not going to take that into consideration. Did, did they say a specific play or, yeah. or, or some yeah, plays they, that came down to or the entire game was on them? Well, the entire game. But they, the one they came out with the, the one they came out with was they, they <laughs> took away a touchdown from Michigan. And they said, we don't know why we did that. They overturned a clear touchdown and then said, yeah, you know what? We, there was no evidence that we should have taken that away. Well, obviously there's some people that, that, that agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, listen, this is not about that call either. I, I've, I've been trying to make it general. I've said it for a long time. Like, there are fluky things that happen, and you go back and look and say, well, that team was the better team. They just didn't win that day. I have never thought head-to-head should be relevant at all. Um, I, I just think there's too many other factors that go into things. And, and we get too caught up in, oh, well, the final score said this. Well, we all watched the game and saw what happened. Yeah, buddy, I, I I don't think I can agree with you on that one. I think head to head means everything, and whatever whatever the W and the and the L is in the in the win loss column, I think that has to count for something, don't you? No, no, no? John, no. you're, just, you're gonna go around in circles bit? with him. No, I've because uh, I'm going listen, down the wrong road, aren't I, Steve? Well, yes. No, John, and, and we've talked about this so many times, but the like I do believe that we should just go by whatever the four highest power rated teams are at the sports books, um, whoever the whoever the odds makers because. Their opinion is going to win or lose them money. It has to be strong. Like that—that's who—that's opinions that I take seriously. 
And so I think at the end of the year, you should do those four. And sometimes a team with like five losses is higher power rated than a team with no losses. They're just a better team. And so I, that's how I think we should do it, and that's how I've always thought we should do it. Right now, Michigan is number four, to be fair. Uh, so maybe that you know that plays into it. But no, I've, I've always said that. Well, listen, the, 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 there, there was a time just a couple of years ago where we couldn't even talk about sports gambling in, in the world of college football and the world of college. So maybe, maybe, your, uh, maybe your proposal has some legs on it. You should work on it. I can help <laughs> you get the right person to present it. Thank you. I, I would really I love- appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> we are getting closer to Las Vegas Bowl time, John. How, how excited are you? Uh, I don't think I don't think excited is the is the word just yet. Uh, it, it, it's it's more of a it's it, it's more scared than anything. We uh, you know lo- looking at the countdown, we 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 only have forty four days till kickoff, which means probably you know thirty nine days. We're inside under forty days till teams arrive. And I had a little bit of a a little bit of a heart attack today when we had uh, one of the Big Ten schools call and ask if. Uh, they, they thought it'd be a really good idea that they, if they got selected to the bowl game, they'd want to come in a little bit early and enjoy Christmas and have all their Christmas celebration uh, with the coaches and the players here. So they would come in on December 23rd, um, which, which, is, which is basically a full week here in Las Vegas and <laughs> something a little bit longer than, than we're used to or we've ever had before. So that one scared me a little bit. But I, I will tell you, on December 5th, Sunday afternoon at noon, when we select our teams, that's when the excitement kicks in, when we can actually stop, you know, k- kind of projecting and looking at the experts, and we finally have two teams that we can promote and talk about and, and break down the game. Um, that's when it becomes really exciting. Well, John, if you lived in Iowa, wouldn't you want to spend time in Vegas, too? Yeah, it wasn't Iowa, though. Shockingly enough, it was Penn State, uh, oh, wow. which, again, it, oh, it's a little cold there as well. But, uh, but, but both Iowa and Wisconsin said that, they would they would look to come in and on the twenty fourth um, as well. So I think I think most of the Big Ten teams would want to because of the, the, the length of trip. Yeah. I don't think they want to travel on Christmas Eve or travel on Christmas Day. I think they just get here nice and early and 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 enjoy Vegas for Christmas. Well, it's a big month for Vegas with college football. You got the Pac twelve title game going down. Uh, what is that? December. Let me get the date. The right date. December third. You guys make your selection on December fifth, and then we've actually got the what is it? December seventh. They moved. It's actually the last two classes of the College Football Hall of Fame. They're going to have those ceremonies here. You going to that? You going to the Aria? I am. The, the nice. National Football Foundation, after what sixty-three years, is moving out of the Waldorf Astoria in, in New York and moving here to Vegas. And what what I didn't realize, I, I will tell you, that I've been doing this for a long time, and I get the invite every year, and I never get to go because we've always had a pre-Christmas game, right. and uh, it's just been too much travel to get going there. But now that it's here. Uh, I'm going to attend a couple of things. And the one thing I did not realize is all the dang uh, receptions and parties that surround that thing. I mean, there's, you know, the, the, the Pac-12 is doing one on Tuesday. The SEC is doing one uh, on Monday. The Big Ten is doing one on Monday. The, the CFP is doing one on Monday. There, there's probably seven different parties and receptions that people hop around uh, in and around that, that, that big National Football Foundation dinner. So the entire world of college football will be here uh, and, and, and every person that, that's involved in college football will be here for those three or four days, which will be pretty exciting. So is, is it – I mean, we're just cutting the nonsense now and everything's moving to Vegas, right? Like everything's <laughs> Buddy, it seems like it. It <laughs> seems like it. It's, it's amazing. Um, they, they, we, we had a nice little niche going here because, you know, we got to use all our partners and we got to kind of call in favors and we got a couple of freebies here and there. Now that all these other big time events are coming in, they're playing full bloat like the conventions. It's kind of stepping on our game and kind of killing our game a little bit. But it's good for the city, and that's all that matters. John, we appreciate it. You have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Thanks for everything, Adam. Uh, we'll, we'll work on that proposal together, <laughs> Thank buddy. Thank you. Thanks, man. Well, he sounds bummed. Right, he sounds bummed right. after doing ten minutes with you. I don't know. He was very positive after he talked to me the last I couple know, weeks. I, I beat people down. That was a nightmare. Just on, I was on it, with the Michigan I thing. Swear, I all right, you're ball. right. Okay, well, Michigan's better. Enough. Not better. Well, they. I mean, according to the odds makers, yeah. yes, they're number four. They should be in the playoff. But uh, you know that I've been proposing that. I've been proposing going back. Like for how long on this show? Like it, it, when the when the referees come out on Tuesday and yeah, say, yeah, "Go back out and we play. screwed up." Yep. Send them back bring, to the field and play again. Bring them back from that point. Like, that's what should happen. And that's not just about Michigan. That's what I've always said. Yeah, I feel like John's mocking of my uh, rankings is absurd. <laughs> uh, I am right. Cincinnati will be in this thing. Um, 
Right now I've got Cincinnati 1, Georgia 2, Ohio State 3, Oregon 4, uh, Alabama. Come on, you can't play New Mexico State. So I actually dropped them out of the top four. They're five. Michigan State is six, ahead of Michigan, seven. Notre Dame is eight. You know, you notice we don't mention Notre Dame at all. They are going to find a way if Notre Dame finishes off the season and sweeps through it. They're going to find a way. Like I said, I believe Cincinnati is going to be in. But if they can screw over Cincinnati and jump Notre Dame, who lost to them head-to-head, they're going to do that. They're going to, they will have them that final week. They will have them right next to each other. Yeah. And then both teams will be like, eh, we got to win, and we got to win by you know, 500 points. That's well, the way they will set this thing up. I, my top four, because I've said I'm, I, I'm not – it's not my opinion. It's the, the sportsbook's opinion. It's out. Uh, Georgia one, Alabama two, Ohio State three, Michigan four. You're in, you're in the range. I don't know if they officially have them four. Do they? Uh, that's from our good friend Brad Powers. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then who's five? Uh, he just said top four. Okay. Uh, guys at the Westgate were telling me Wisconsin's actually up in front of, like, it's probably in front of Oregon. Wow. That's how good Wisconsin's been. They, yeah, they've turned it around. But that Cincinnati's in the mix. It's not like, like, the Cincinnati is not, has never been, you know, 11th in this discussion. But they've been al- in the mix. Let's also be clear. There's a huge drop-off. Uh, yeah. Georgia against Michigan, one versus four. Right. 14 point spread. Yeah, Michigan State was getting, what, the one week they were in, they were getting 20 and a half, I think, against Alabama. So I would imagine if it's Cincinnati, Georgia, it's probably 21. I do believe the Big Ten teams are all going to cannibalize each other in the next couple of weeks. So yeah. then it'll get really interesting. Then what do they do? If they're the highest power-rated teams and they beat up on each other, should they all drop out? No. Will they all drop out? Probably. Yes. Yeah, but I'm saying that they shouldn't. Right. Arroyo show is coming up at 630. We're about 12 minutes away from going down to the Orleans at Bailiwick. Curtis Terry and uh, Kevin Kruger and John Sandler, the Kruger radio show. I, you were at the game last night, right? No. Or no, two games ago. Okay. Yeah. So last night's game, UNLV wins. They go to 3-0. Carbon copy of the first yeah. couple of games. Low scoring, a lot of defense. They make some plays down the stretch. Games one and three, especially Bryce Hamilton goes crazy in the final minutes. I showed you the video of Kevin Kruger at the end of the game. I'm fascinated by his behavior. I hope he's listening, driving over right now. Fascinated. He had, like, no reaction to the opposition coming down, getting a near-game-tying layup up near the rim. Instead, good defense by Marvin Coleman, and Royce Ham gets a big block. Describe to people what Kevin was doing because there was almost no reaction. He had one focus. He appeared like he was walking through like the reception line at a funeral where you're like, okay, I'm just going to go across and shake the hand of the, the, the dead family. I don't think he didn't gesture when the shot was blocked. He no. didn't, there was no fist bump. He is watching. I think his arms are crossed. He puts his arms down. He just starts walking towards the other coach. His team goes up against the scorer's table, they're all celebrating. He, like, curves Navigates. around them not to get hit and then just puts his hand out. Like, He's... it was the most unlike thing I've – well, I guess – how do I put it in English? Like, Leon – remember what Leon Rice did to Dave Rice? Because oh, I, yeah. I will never forget that. The fist pump in what the face. What a horse's ass he was. Sure. Up there, a three got overturned, and he's, like, in his face, double fist. Ah! Kruger's like – no celebration, handshake. It's that's a Kruger. It's Kruger. But like I think like like Lon is Lon had the reputation of being very nonchalant or you yeah. know very focused and stern. Yep. He was. I mean, he was very fiery. I think Kevin is too. No, Kevin is not showing it. Um Yeah, he's a he's a calm dude during the game. Yeah. Every once in a while he'll, he'll talk to the refs. It's well, like usually, I think, it's usually pretty composed. Uh, but I and I'm just gonna say I do believe there have been recent versions of this running rebel team over the years that played way too tight. Sure, and he and I and I pointed out on the TV broadcast. I'm like, man, I'm looking out there. There's eight minutes left, and like David Mwoka is not a finished piece at all from a defensive standpoint. And I don't think Bryce was out there either. But like like Mwoka was out there. Josh Baker was out there. Like it, like they were like, hey, let's try this lineup with seven and a half minutes sure. left. 
That had, that had not happened the last couple of years. Like you saw, it started to shrink down to like friggin' six yeah. guys early in the season. I don't, unless there's injuries, I don't think that's going to happen with this group because they are dead set on we're going to rotate a lot of dudes, and that if that means four guys going at one time, we're going to wind up playing nine or ten or eleven guys if we can. Yeah, I think they're trying to find how guys respond to different situations. There is it's- nothing worse than playing for someone, Adam, when you're like, "Crap, I made a mistake. Now I'm coming out." Well, they you are have to come, let guys play. But they are going to come out. No, but <laughs> like but, but, but they're the not thing. being pulled immediately right. because you make a turnover. Right. For sure. Because you make a bad pass. Believe me, because Kruger has made you know made a remark a, a, multiple times about Jordan McCabe. Jordan McCabe is is a good player, but he's also he he is on hyperspeed sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes he he makes an entry pass and guys are like like you know you have no idea it's coming, and he's pointed out like that's going to happen. But does you know is an immediate like get off the floor like no, no I think this isn't Huggins it's Kruger. But I think he's also trying to figure out like. What he, what rotations work best? What guys respond to different different situations? Oh, this guy, he's good, but he's really good when we need you know when we need a defensive stop or we really when we need a bucket. He's really good in that spot, or he's really good at ending a run from the other team. Like I think he's still trying to figure that stuff out too. I was surprised letting the, him play I, through it. I was surprised at the very end that he took Nuga out and put in Marvin Coleman, but then Marvin made a couple of he made a big rebound. He actually made I know Ham Royce Ham got all the credit for the block. Marvin's defense was actually excellent. Yep. He bodied up the guy, jumped, was jumping in the air, didn't put his hands down to draw the foul, and really got in the dude's way as he was trying to get to the hoop. Yeah. I mean, they, they did a lot of good things. And I, I, I asked him the question the other day about not calling a timeout when uh, Cal had an 11-0 run. Oh, you and, love this. And you, were, you, were, you were in heaven with your you had three questions in a row. I'm like, he's really getting at something here. Well, no, I was just, I was just trying to see what, you know, philosophy-wise, what he was doing. And um, I, I thought it was, hey, look. It's early in the season. How are these guys? There's going to be times we don't have a timeout. How are they going to respond? How are they going to be able to overcome a run? And I think he wanted to see how they did, and that's kind of what he said. And, and they responded really well. They made two threes out of that, which again is a big change. Yeah, I think there's too many coaches who want to so micromanage the game that that if the other team scores on three straight possessions, they're like timeout. Yeah, like you said, sometimes you don't have a timeout. Sometimes guys are going to have to be player-led on the floor and get through it. And, and sometimes the only way to end a run isn't by a timeout. It's by a stop and a basket. And that's what the UNLV got. Damn. Strong close. Kruger Radio Show is coming up. Arroyo after that. Stick around. Lots of uh, big-time UNLV sports talk right here on ESPN Las Vegas.